Hello and welcome to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a wonderful group of actors that is going to take us on a wild and wasteful journey on the wild and wasteful ocean, which is Henry V, Act Three. Woohoo! Um, we ended with the Duke of Exeter going to the French king and um, sort of bringing the terms. Otherwise, he says there's going to be some bloodshed that happens. And so we're the chorus is going to take us across the channel from the English perspective with a beautiful speech. Um, and then we're going to land right in the middle of a siege. So, Isabel, whenever you're ready. Thus, with imagined wing, our swift scene flies in motion of no less celerity than that of thought. Suppose that you have seen the well-appointed king at Dover Pier embark his royalty and his brave fleet with silken streamers, the young Phoebus fanning. Play with your fancies, and in them behold upon the hempen tackle shipboys climbing. Hear the shrill whistle, which doth order give to sounds confused. Behold the threatened sails, borne with the invisible and creeping wind, draw the huge bottoms through the furrowed sea, breasting the lofty surge. Oh, do but think you stand upon the rivage, and behold a city on the inconstant billows dancing. For so appears this fleet majestical holding due course to Harfleur. Follow, follow, grapple your minds to the sternage of this navy and leave your England as dead midnight, still, guarded with grandsires, babies, and old women, either past or not arrived to pith and puissance. For who is he? whose chin is but enriched with one appearing hair that will not follow these culled and choice-drawn cavaliers to France. Work, work your thoughts, and therein see a siege. Behold the ordinance on their carriages with fatal mouths gaping on girded harfleur. Suppose the ambassador from the French comes back, tells Harry that the king doth offer him Catherine, his daughter, and with her to dowry some petty and unprofitable dukedoms. The offer likes not, and the nimble gunner with linstock now the devilish cannon touches, and down goes all before them. Still be kind, and eke out our performance with your mind. Whoa, um, that's quite an alliterative announcement you, you have there. There's yeah. a lot of uh, repeated sounds and, and um, so many <laughs> words. Yeah, is what are your what are your thoughts and uh, impressions and just reactions to this speech? Um, I think it's interesting comparing it to the other ones because the, the last one we did was so like this is what's happening. And uh, this one is much more like preparing you for the war, obviously, and with more flowery, flowery language. And I think that builds to act four, which, you know, in some ways is, is very similar to that, even more so because it's, and it's classic in that way, even though it does have, um, it has a little bit more like, Harry's going to do this, just watch out. Um, but uh, <laughs> I I think it's interesting also that the the sentences are 
um, a lot shorter in this one than the previous one. And it's like, it, it feels, feels very much more like it's building, it's building, it's building in that way. And yeah, I guess that's the, those are the main things that I found while reading. Once it. again, I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with you is. And I think once again, the thing that sticks out for me is just the chorus is so much about imagery um, and just this sort of steeping you and like, we don't have a big budget, but let me paint you the picture so you can take it away in your mind's eye. And we're gonna, you know, we had this was sort of, we're gonna transfer all of you in the theater to France. There's something like very cinematic about the way in which, you know, for, for lack of another anachronistic word for the way in which um, the chorus is sort of describing, describing everything. I, I love, 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 love the phrase work your thoughts. Um, in fact, I sort of had this, this idea a couple weeks ago that um, I'm in the process of writing a book uh, for actors about how to do, how to just approach and dig into Shakespeare's text. And I'm thinking about calling it work your thoughts because that's kind of the thesis of it. But I was just like, yeah, work the thoughts, man, work them. Um, there, there's something like really active and commanding about, about this speech to me. And it was, it was the first speech I ever got to work on in terms of the like chorus speeches, I remember. And so I'm, I'm, always, I'm always rather fond of it. I think it's super energetic. Um, did anyone else have any observations or, or thoughts, about, um, thoughts about this? Uh, yeah, yeah, Andrew. I was just uh, struck this time <clears throat> reading it by the stage direction at the end where, uh, as you say, there's so much beautiful imagery in these words and that kind of, um, uh, we're going to make up our budget with uh, <laughs> by using your imaginations. And then at the end, they have um, uh, chambers go off, yeah. which, which I think are kind of like, f you know, fake cannons or something like that. Yeah, And so all this imagery builds up to an actual special effect for the first time. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. And how shocking would that be if you're all kind of trying to hold on to the, the, right, right. these words and then all of a sudden there's an explosion. You're like, what the shit? You know, and I, I also <laughs> wonder, um, having just uh, been reading and, and sort of doing edits on the, the uh, interview that I got to do with uh, James Shapiro that you know this is pre this was probably written about 1599 in that arena and the um you know November the 5th 1605 was the gunpowder plot was the day that parliament was supposed to be blown up so I think probably that there aren't as many explosions in um in later in the Jacobean Shakespeare time because that would have probably been really disturbing for the audiences. I mean, it was really like one of the first sort of what we would see as like a terrorist attack, right, on um, a planned terrorist attack to blow up the entire English government um, as it was at that point. Um, so I, I just, having just sort of been steeped in that, I, I can think that there's something more celebratory, even though this is in the context of warfare, something about the explosions and the bang and the, but that it would have a very different feeling if you were going to stage this play in like early 1606 or something, you know, it's like, ugh, collective anxiety. But it's also so interesting. Uh, sorry. 
Zoe, <laughs> you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I was just gonna say that I think it's so interesting that you say that about like how visceral that would be because we've been you've been talking about how the chorus is really like setting the scene so visually, um, which is interesting because like there's plenty of other plays in which they couldn't have had like a massive beautiful set, you know, but like somehow for this, it's it's interesting to me this idea of like the specific violence of this play and like the specific focus on like the horrific like war crimes and like terrible things that happen like that we need to sort of separate ourselves from that in a way where they're like okay here's when you can suspend your disbelief and here's where we'll paint the picture for you and you can use your imagination and sort of like giving the audience permission to sort of like not let their imagination run wild in specific aspects but then encouraging them to let their imagination run wild in in sort of like other aspects absolutely uh zoe yeah i was just gonna say i love like what a hype man the chorus is <laughs> like every time the chorus comes out it just gets you so pumped for what's yeah. about to happen and i also feel like it really solves the problem especially at the beginning of the play because it takes everyone's ears a bit to get attuned to shakespeare no matter how well you know it or how many times you've seen or heard it it takes you like, I forget what they say, like 10 to 20 minutes to actually be able to like keep up with the pace and absorb what's going on. So I feel like it does such a great job of, yeah, using really strong imagery and also getting your ear attuned to the language again, like cueing you back in. And he is like, I am just picturing like Paul Bettany from A Knight's Tale, Um, no shame there. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think everyone. Oh, I love love that. that. Like the chorus being really excited about everything that's about to happen. Yeah, (laughs) I I agree with that. I I got the same feeling. Like I I feel, I imagine this as this one person, like a one-on-one. I almost feel like it's one person taking me like this and saying, imagine this in the chin and the the surgeon. It's like somebody in the middle of a crowd speaking to you face to face you know when they grab you from the audience and you're just like oh i was just sitting here please have pity on me um so i really love that that feeling that it's a person telling you a story it and and when somebody gets you to imagine something it's boundless once you're caught in the game in the imagination imaginative game then it's it can be so much more powerful than any set or any you know and, and there's of- something about this speech that is very um it makes the the rhythm of it seems very weather beaten to me it's mm. like it's it's not it's not telling you this is like like was mentioned before this is you know what is happening now it's almost like he's in a in a or the chorus is in a kind of wave or keeps mm. like work work the the whole rhythm itself has a very soothing but moving kind of um rhythm that is very uh, intense for me yeah this one uh, kind of what you're saying made me think of something i've kind of had the back of my mind with a lot of these chorus speeches this one in particular feels a lot like time in the winter's tale Mm. Yeah, uh, top of whatever, act four, I think, whatever it is, but there's just something about, maybe, um, Zudom, I really like what you're saying about the 
kind of naturalistic vibe to this. And I guess there's some similarities there, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, and the, and the imagery of sort of, 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 of time, and I think time is very right connected to the ocean as well and cycles and, 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 and forward momentum as well, which I think, I think you're absolutely right. Both of you that there, there is a sense of like, let's push ourselves forward somehow temporally and, and imaginatively let's like go there. And then we go right bang into another super famous speech maybe the most one of i would say probably top five most um famous shakespeare lines um which i think is really fun because it's uh it's a very spondaic line which is just a super geeky way of saying there's more um than the normal five stresses in this next line i think a spondy is where you stress both of the syllables in the foot. So yeah, with that nerd alert, uh, <laughs> Andrew, why don't you take it away from here? <laughs> Andrew's trying to figure out how to read the line with or without more or less spondies. You can completely ignore that. That is my, <laughs> um, that is my nerd interpretation of this line. <laughs> Feel great. free to do it however great. you would like. You can do it all in Pyrrhics and not emphasize any of the words if you would so desire. <laughs> like, please feel free. <laughs> once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more, or close the wall up with our English dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, disguise fair nature with hard favored rage. Then let the eye, then lend the eye a terrible aspect. Let it pry through the portage of the head like the brass cannon. Let the brow overwhelm it as fearfully as does a gallid rock or hang and juddy his confounded base swilled with the wild and wasteful ocean. Now set the teeth and stretch the nostril wide. Hold hard the breath and bend up every spirit to his full height. On, on, you noblest English, whose blood is fet from fathers of war-proof, fathers that like so many Alexanders have in these parts from morn till even fought and sheathed their swords for lack of argument. Dishonor not your mothers. Now attest that those whom you called fathers did beget you. Be copy now to men of grosser blood and teach them how to war. And you, good yeoman, whose limbs were made in England, show us here the metal of your pasture. Let us swear that you are worth your breeding, which I doubt not. For there is none of you so mean and base that hath not noble luster in your eyes. I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips, straining upon the start, the game's afoot. Follow your spirit, and upon this charge, cry God for Harry, England, and St. George. Woo! All right. Bang, Bravo. Bang, Cannons. <laughs> <laughs> bang, bang, clang, clang. Wonderful. Yeah. Woo. 
Um, what are your what are your thoughts, Andrew? What are, what are your sort of um, reactions and observations of this uh, kind of wild in speech? <laughs> yeah, um, hmm. it is wild. It's uh, it's one of those speeches that just kind of pulls you along with it. The for me, the rhythm never really uh, lets up, which makes sense. Um, it does have a a build to it for me, and and I I think there's a danger because that first line is so famous. Um, you know that that becomes the the linchpin almost. Mm. Obviously, the the final line is also pretty famous, but um, I I think uh, if if I were playing this you know, on the stage, I, I would want to find some way to get into it from the point of view of this is coming at the, towards the end of a conflict, uh, yeah. or, you know, this is the climax of the conflict. It's, it's the build into the last phase here. And so everyone is exhausted. Everyone is, um, worn down, mm. even the king. And I think there's a that that's the build maybe to find at least that would be my way into it is um, how much of this is building himself up as well. Yeah, uh, I think I think. And how much of it is, yeah. and it can be both things for himself and for for the men. Yeah, there's a I have a one of my uh, favorite sort of informal versions of this speech is um, in the uh, John Barton's playing Shakespeare. It's in one of the earlier episodes. And I think it's um, Michael Williams, who was Judy Dench's husband, um, who is also an actor mm. um, doing this. And he's, you know, he's not like this big hulky guy. He's like, he's just like a kind of like your average everyman type. And uh, he was going to do this speech for John Barton. And then he said, could I actually have the other actors like heckle me during this speech? Cause I really feel like the energy from this speech comes from him trying to convince them, you know, like there's this desperate need. So it was great. Like all the, all the actors go out into the audience. And I think my favorite was Patrick Stewart, who like during the stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, like stretch the nostril wide. He was like trying to stretch his nostrils wide. It was like, it was pretty hilarious, but, but yeah, there that's was a good like, one. I remember that. Yeah. One. Like, but there's, there's a, there's a nice, again, I feel like there's something pulling us and the characters just like with the 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 chorus of act three there's something just oh, colossal that has to be pulled and I, I i like a lot what you were saying andrew about the um that it's almost for himself as much as his men that it's like the act of saying this is the way to energize yourself somehow yeah right right and it i think um i'm also thinking back to the the first scene in Act One and and that that kind of sense of inevitability mm. and the the flip side of inevitability is uh, I think a build that uh, one thing sits upon the previous thing and it all has this sense of um, destiny and leading onward but but building and and growing um, larger 
the 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 play as a whole has a kind of momentum and this speech is like a microcosm of that the that sense of momentum and the train is is picking up speed yeah and uh, and that's the kind of thing that pulls you along the, that inevitability yeah absolutely and then i think in the most typical shakespeare fashion like the next scene takes us away from that right like the yeah. next scene we're, we're instead of like leaning forward and reaching forwards we sort of like are hanging out with the guys who really don't want to go to the breach and then are like sort of pushed on by uh this wonderful new character that we'll meet called captain fluellen um uh but yeah i think i i, I think you're absolutely right the, the build and the energy i think is is and I felt that the way that you were reading that, I really heard this this build, this energetic build um, within it. Um, and the stakes get raised, I think, as as the speech goes. It's like we've got to do this. <laughs> like this is the first battle. We've got to make it count. You know. Um, did anyone else have any sort of thoughts or observations about this this very very famous speech? It just seems like with those cannon shots again, I don't know, I'm just feeling like this is something like very like 4th of July about the beginning of Act <laughs> you know, very patriotic. Yeah, absolutely. I um, in fact, this, I, I last night I watched, I'm, I'm watching all of these wonderful old movies that I haven't seen before that I've always wanted to see. And I watched Mr. Smith Goes to Washington last night which like Jimmy Stewart, oh my God. Like there is no better film actor. He's just so freaking good. Um, but like the whole, you know, it was made in 1939 and like the whole cover, the whole like credit sequence at the beginning, it's just like, oh my God. Like I'm, I'm this is like overload of, of patriotic music. <laughs> and um you know, and it, some of the uh, people I was watching with were like, wait a second, were we already in World War II? Like, what is going on with this this patriotic music? It's like out of control. So I was like, oh, no, this is about the U.S. government and, yeah, cynicism and ideals and all that stuff. But, yeah, I totally agree. Well, and it was written to sort of flatter the monarchy, right? Is yeah. that off? Yeah. I think, I, like I think so. Cause it is very like, go us, you know? And like making fun of French and Irish and Welsh and Scottish, you know, just let's make fun of them all. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think there's also, there is an interesting, very rare contemporary reference uh, in the act five chorus that we're going to see that actually talks about the Earl of Essex. And um, like, if he were to come back from his rebellion, he would probably be greeted a similar way, which is then like, oh no, like not a good topical reference because he leads a rebellion a couple of years after this happened. So um, there's like a lot of, but, but yeah, I think on the whole, this can very much be seen as a, as a patriotic uh, play. But I also think that there's, as always in Shakespeare, there there runs an undercurrent of anti-war and anti-violence. Um, well, yeah, perhaps. he definitely definitely gets his um, yeah, yeah. It's not just one note that he strikes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, this has been used like Laurence Olivier's film uh, version of this, which was happening when, which I think was filmed around or just just before the time that um, 
World War II was happening was very much to use as sort of a propaganda film. Like, remember the time that we went to Europe and we kicked everyone's ass? Like, that's what we got to do now, you know? Um, but then like, you know, Ken Branagh's version, I think the war scenes are particularly disturbing and really, really violent. And I don't think it's glorified violence. I think it's really meant to be very disturbing to watch. So I think, but I think both of those realities are held within the play, which is, you know, why it's Shakespeare. Um, well, wonderful. Shall we, um, shall we go on to breaches, different kinds of breaches and ale houses? Right. Ariana, before we move <laughs> yeah. on. Oh yeah, please. I, I just wanted to mention the, uh, or draw our attention to the stage direction at the top of the speech, uh, which is enter the King, Exeter, Bedford and Gloucester, alarm, and then scaling ladders at Harfleur. And it just reminds me, um, whatever the, the speech, whatever you think about the speech itself, the scene on the stage, it's one of those rare um, uh, stage directions where we get a little glimpse into at least how somebody staged it back then. Yeah. where they actually had scaling ladders on stage. Yeah. And of course the speech ends with the cannons going off again. So the, the start of this act must have been quite a uh, set piece yeah. um, in terms of special effects in that theater. I totally agree. And that's that's a wonderful thing. And and of course we know that, you know, the, the stage was the same for every show. It was like two entrances, a balcony and a reveal underneath the... <laughs> underneath the balcony so i'm sure that they were bringing the ladders up to the balcony and they were sort of climbing up and that's probably where the right, governor right. comes out and um it's, it's it's fun to sort of think about how this would have been staged and also just to see similarities with other war scenes i know this reminds me very much of the war scene in coriolanus where he climbs the wall by himself and like enters um Coriolis by himself to go kill like the entire army. It's a little bit fantastical, but um, it's, it's a similar like active, like here we go, off we trot. So I think there, there's something that, to it uh, that's like very like, well, that worked in Henry V. We got to find another play to use that. <laughs> that was a good, that was a good stage effect. Awesome. I feel like this scene and, and speech is also um, set up by the image in the chorus of the ship's hulls being dragged through the water of the English Channel by the invisible wind. It's this big forward motion. We're going to something that's weighty, you know, something that you had to have been there really to know what it was like, but we're going to try and describe it. But still, I mean, it's set up. I think that image of the ship's hulls being dragged through the, the dark water of the English Channel because of this invisible windy force, it, it really, I think, speaks to the scene of the siege and to the speech of the siege. Yeah, I, thank you so much for that, Esther. The, the idea of weight, is that's wonderful. And I think that's really key that there is something, you know, there's something very different to say if we were doing Romeo and Juliet, the violence, I would say there, there's, there's a lightness to it. Um, there's like, you think of like rapiers and these very elegant, like kind of beautiful movements, but you get to a play like this and this is like heaviness. This is heavy armor and heavy you know there's nothing elegant about this it's really weighty um the, both the violence and the sort of stakes uh 
so yeah, thank you for that. That's really, that's a wonderful image. Um, Besides, everybody is fighting. Any, any, any person, even not like he says, even if you're not of noble blood, like the kind of fighting is completely uh, different. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to see the fighting and the bloodshed and the rape of civilians uh, is this constant threat that um, comes over this this act, which is is. I find incredibly disturbing, but we'll get there. We'll get there. First of all, we've got to, we've got to meet our, our, we've got to see Bardolph and Nim and the boy and pistol. And we've got to meet our brand new character, Captain Fluellen, who is the Welsh wonder. Um, okay. Fantastic. So whenever you're ready, guys, let's just jump right into three, two. On, 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 on to the breach, to the breach. Pray thee, corporal, stay. The knocks are too hot, and for mine own part, I have not a case of lives. The humor of it is too hot. That is the plain song of it. The plain song is most just, for humors do abound. Knocks go and come, God's vassals drop and die, and sword and shield and bloody field doth win immortal fame. Would I were in an alehouse in London? I would give all my fame for a pot of ale and safety. And I, if wishes would prevail with me, my purpose should not fail with me, but thither would I hie. As duly, but not as truly, as birth doth sing on bow. Up to the breach, you dogs! Avant, you cullions! Be merciful, great duke, to men of mold. Abate thy rage, abate thy manly rage, abate thy rage, great duke. Good Balcock, bake thy rage. Use lenity, sweet Chuck. These be good humors. Your honor wins bad humors. As young as I am, I have observed these three swashers. I am a boy to them all three, but all they three, though they would serve me, could not be man to me. For indeed, three such antics do not amount to a man. For Bardolph, he is white-livered and red-faced by the means whereof a face is about, but fights not. For pistol, he hath a killing tongue and a quiet sword, by the means whereof a breaks words and keeps whole weapons. For Nim, he hath heard that men of few words are the best men, and therefore he scorns to say his prayers, lest I should be thought a coward. But his few bad words are as matched with as few good deeds, for I never broke any man's head but his own, and that was against the post when he was drunk. They will steal anything and call it purchase. Bardolph stole a loot case, bore it 12 leagues and sold it for three halfpence. Nim and Bardolph are sworn brothers in filching, and in Calais they stole a fire shovel. I knew by that piece of service the men would carry coals. They would have me as familiar with men's pockets as their gloves or their handkerchiefs which makes much against my manhood, if I should take from another's pocket to put into mine, for it is plain pocketing up of wrongs. I, I must leave them and seek some better service. Their villainy goes against my weak stomach, and therefore I must cast it up. Captain Fluellen, you must come presently to the mines. The Duke of Gloucester would speak with you. To the mines? Tell you the duke it is not so good to come to the mines. For look you, the mines is not according to the dis disciplines of the war. The concavities of it is not sufficient. For look you, 
the adversary you may discuss unto the duke, look you, is digged himself four yard under the countermines. By Cheshu, I think I will plow up all if there is not better directions. The Duke of Gloucester, to whom the order of the siege is given, is altogether directed by an Irishman, a very valiant gentleman, in faith. It is Captain McMorris, is it not? I think it be. By Cheshuey is an ass, as in the world. I will verify as much in his beard. He has no more directions in the true disciplines of the wars, look you, of the Roman disciplines than is a puppy dog. Here it comes, and the Scots captain, Captain, how would you pronounce that, Ari? Just Jam- Jamie. Jamie? Okay. Yeah, uh, Jamie. Captain Jamie with him. Captain Jamie is a marvelous, phalarous gentleman, that is certain, and of great expedition and knowledge in the ancient wars. Upon my particular knowledge of his directions, by Cheshu, he will maintain his argument as well as any military man in the world in the disciplines of the pristine wars of the Romans. Say good day, Captain Fluon. Good evening to your worship, good Captain James. How now, Captain McMorris? Have you quit the mines? Have the pioneers given over? Oh, by Christ, Lottish ill done. The work is give over. The trumpets sound the retreat. By me hand, I swear, and my father's soul, the work is ill done. Tish give over. I would have blowed up the town so Christ save me law in an hour. Oh, tish ill done. Tish ill done. By me hand, tish ill done. Captain McMorris, I beseech you now, will you vouchsafe me, look you, a few disputations with you as partly touching or concerning the disciplines of the war, the Roman wars, in the way of argument, look you, and friendly communication, partly to satisfy my opinion and partly for the satisfaction, look you, of my mind, as touching the direction of the military discipline. That is the point. I shall be very good, good faith, good captain's bath. I shall quit you with good leave as I may pick occasion. That shall I marry. Oh, it is no time for discourse. So Christ save me. The day is hot and the weather and the wars and the king and the dukes. Oh, tis no time for discourse. The town is beseeched and trumpet call us to the breach and we talk and be Christ do nothing. Oh, tis shame for us all. So God save me, tis shame to stand still, tis shame by my hand. And there is troats to be cut, and works to be done, and there is nothing done. So Christ save me, law. By the mess, sir, these eyes of mine take themselves to slumber. I'll do good service, or I'll lay the ground for it, I or go to death. And I'll pay it as valorously as I may. That shall I surely do. That is the breath and the long, Mary. I would full fain heard some question between you tway. Captain McMorris, I think, look you, under your correction, there is not many of your nation. Of my nation? What is my nation? Is a villain? And a bastard and a knave and a rascal? What is my nation? Who talks of my nation? Look you, if you take the matter otherwise than is meant, Captain McMorris, peradventure I shall think you do not use me with that affability, as in discretion you ought to use me. Look you, as being a good man, good as good a man as yourself, both in the disciplines of war and in the derivation of my birth and in other particularities. I do not know you as good a man as myself, so Christ save me, I will cut off your head. Gentlemen both, you will mistake each other. 
Aye, that's a full fault. The town sounds a parley. Then, Mac Morris, when there is a more is more better opportunity to be required, look you, I will be so bold as to tell you, I know the disciplines of war, and there is an end. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you all so much. That was so delightful. Um, <laughs> I would like to apologize to all of my Irish friends who I will not allow to listen. <laughs> Well, but hey, man, like, anyway, I that was, was really fun. I really enjoyed that a lot. Shall we start just with the 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 top of the scene? So we've got Bardolph and Pistol and Nim and the boy. Um, what What's going on here with these with with this little quartet? We've got two, <laughs> two quartets in this. It's an octet. So the first quartet, tell us what's going on for them. There's a lot of repetition. Sure. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> They're drunk. Yes. Yeah, I, I would hazard a guess that they're drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Or wish they were. Or wish they were. I do think it's interesting that it's in direct uh, response to to the king. Yeah. You know, like yeah. oh, the breach or yeah. Yeah, everyone's talking about the breach, right? But some yeah. with uh, with more enthusiasm than others. Right, 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 right. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It goes from that speech. With where he says like there is none of you so mean and base that has not noble luster in your eyes to these fuckers <laughs> who are just like like mocking this beautiful speech like immediately yeah. immediately mocking it <laughs> and then singing I love that Pistol just bursts into song I mean tell us more about Pistol Zoe because I'm just like what a fascinating character Oh gosh. <laughs> Great question. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why I'm inclined to think that they're like drinking and sort of like stealing and just have created their own little like burrow <laughs> somewhere, like away yeah. from it all. Um, just because he's like bursting out into song and stuff during this battle. I mean, I also think for as. Um, boisterous as this King Henry speeches, it's not very encouraging. Like the second <laughs> line is, or close the wall up with our English dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> like who do you think are the people who are gonna be killed? It's not gonna be King Henry. Um, yeah, oh, of course. So I think it is sort of like a getting into the nitty gritty. And as funny as it is, I think you're seeing people who are really afraid. Yeah. And trying to, you know, do what, I think a lot of people would do in this situation. Absolutely. Um, and because you don't have Falstaff. So I feel like yeah. it's, a, it's again, sort of like these this group of four making up for the fact that you don't have a Falstaff to like cleverly comment or give a beautiful yeah. speech about how useless honor is. And instead it's these guys like getting drunk and singing songs and trying to like distract themselves from the reality of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andrew. I guess I'm kind of on a uh, stage directions kick tonight, but um, <laughs> I was, I uh, I know there's an exunt uh, inserted here, um, but it, I find it interesting that in the folio there is not, uh, yeah, there is no exit, no clearing of the stage, and so it really could be the king climbing the scaling ladders is giving this speech, cry God for Harry England and Saint George goes over the top. And 
entering at the bottom are these guys who are supposed to follow, you know, to continue the charge. Um, you know, slow pan from the heroic king at the top of the wall down to these guys at the at yeah, the bottom. Everyone else, keep it's, going. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 a wonderful like image for sure. And I think that yeah, you're you're absolutely right to point out that the 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 exit is not in is not in the folio, which is why it's in in brackets in our in our script. It does seem to me like dramaturgically it could be kind of justification for what's about to happen, especially with like the boy's speech of like, he's a fucker, he's a fucker, he's a fucker, I'm out of here, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, I would love to, to, to um, transition to that speech. Um, Zunum, tell us, tell us about this. I, I, I find this to be almost like a... Um, it's almost like a stand-up comedy piece in the middle of a battle. Like it's amazing. It's got all the the rule of three and the callback and the conclusion and the you know. There's there's. It's like it's an extraordinary little speech. Yeah, I this um I I try to to picture this from the point of view of a kid, you know, who is mm. like stuck in the middle of this without really having uh control of where he is and what is happening around and what is it all for and um like who's these people don't care about me really as as like these these boys are just so all he has to hold on to are the people who he had who he came here with who is he's at their service yeah. and trying to describe his situation just like falling apart around him from the start but now even more what like where is he gonna go to find better service in the in the middle of this and you know he's i don't know i i think i find it hard to find the space where he would be reflecting on all of this but but feel war fields do have moments of okay nothing is happening now. Everybody like get drunk and wait out and the suspense of it all. And, um, and uh, I don't know, it, it just, it's very chaotic and I, I struggle to, to interpret it. Yeah. I, I hear you. It also is, is, is not helpful in that there is some very um, archaic language as well in as which we get a lot more with prose as I think Zoe you brought up that, that when we have um, when we do have prose uh, frequently the the vocabulary becomes uh, of a much more contemporary for Shakespeare's time but actually weirdly uh, archaic for our time um, it's, it's much much harder but yeah wait, but i also find that there's yeah. a like a because now he they've actually find themselves in a in a serious situation i think it's a turning point of maturity for that boy to this mm. to really realize wow yeah these people are used and i have to fend right for myself and i think there's something that that happens to to the boy psychologically and kind of um reflects on on the boys that are that all these men were or how yeah. how their kind of bumpy upbringing must have been or Absolutely. and also the, the the foreshadowing of his own you know possible death 
in, in the whole context of the war, you know. Absolutely. It's and the it only part where he's highlighted there's this tragedy afterwards. So it is important that he has this little moment to speak his mind as this like separate little soul who who ha who doesn't have who shouldn't be there, you know. That's that's wonderful what you said about like he he represents the boys that these men have been as well. I love that. And I think there there is there is an innocence lost in this moment as there always is with war, right? The 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 lost innocence, but also you have also proved as the boy that you're 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 a much more useful <laughs> soldier than any of these other soldiers um, during this. You're going to be the person who somehow is fluent in French in the later battle scenes um, and are able to communicate with the French soldiers when they want to surrender. So it's it's just interesting, like where where does competency sort of <laughs> make itself known? Um, it's not always in the most expected places. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we have our, our, the mines and then moving into the four captains, uh, each <laughs> representing a different sort of corner of Britain, uh, of, of the English empire that is, is not really an empire at this point and is not a united kingdom by any means um so we get our our english captain we have our irish captain we have our scottish captain and then we get to spend the most time with our welsh captain so i wanted to start with you julia tell us about who this fluellen is with his obsession oh. with the roman military <laughs> oh god <laughs> i was actually like, I'm not going to lie to you. I was panicking a bit this afternoon. I, I was working and I was like, I haven't had enough time. Like I've been trying to listen to videos of Welsh accents. Like I've been trying to encapsulate this and I can't get it. And I was getting really anxious and upset. And I was talking to um, a friend of the podcast, uh, uh, played the bastard in King John, Olivia Barisi. Yeah who's Woo. my very dear friend and collaborator. I was talking to her about it and this is her favorite play. And so I was like, just tell me what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and while we were talking about it, I think she, we, she was sort of like, I mean, like you're doing what you have to do with it, which is like, he's funny and weird, but like strangely passionate in a way that people respect, but that comes through at the end. And I, I think the reason that, that I was struggling, I've been struggling so much with it is, um, something that Zoe said in the last act with one of Bardolph, Nim and Pistol scenes about how it's like, I don't find it funny. And so I'm mm. sort of struggling to like break through this barrier of like, this isn't funny, but I know it's supposed to be. And like, mm. is that levity enough for this play and this scene? And I also, I always struggle with the Welsh characters because I have this like, intense feeling that we're supposed to be laughing at them and like one of the things that I most enjoy about playing like comedic roles is like the fact that it's it's on your terms you know you like especially in Shakespeare like there's lots of jokes you're telling the jokes but with these like these caricatures I struggle so much with it because it yeah. feels so like it, it intentionally like we're laughing we're supposed to be laughing at them you know and and yeah. I I I hate that but then also it's this weird thing that I feel like Fluellen kind of like wins people over with his like 
aggressive patriotism, you know? And, and like, <laughs> I think this, obviously this scene is weird <laughs> um, and we, we don't quite see any of that yet, but there is like coming, just like coming from the beginning of this act. So we have, you know, we have Henry's speech and then we have the boys' speech. Well, and then we have well, then we have the scene with the idiots. And then we have the boys' speech. And it, it's sort of, and then we have this. And it, it feels to me like this play is so much more complex than I feel like maybe people give it credit for. Like I I feel like mm-hmm. so many, I'm just talking now. Please tell me to stop. No, 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 no. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. But I feel like so many contemporary productions like make Henry Five, like I, I feel like. I've heard of and I've seen like a few productions that make it very like Vietnam or very sort of like they, they want to take these like hard stances about like comparing this play with contemporary war, mm-hmm. you know, th- things that are in the zeitgeist, you know. Um, and I feel like it's so much more complex than that because we see these these um, we're thrown in between all of these different like opinions on it. And, and it, it's so weird to see these characters that we're kind of supposed to be laughing at are the ones who are like most invested in winning. Mm. If that makes any sense, like they're all weird and wrong. And like <laughs> Fluellen has all this stuff about like Roman strategy, but they, they, they appear to really care you know like they're not barred off him and pistol you know yeah they're not it's so now I'm now I'm struggling to sort of say no what I no feel, I it's so but weird it is weird and I think I I think you've absolutely you've absolutely hit it in that um some I I know this came up uh with Genevieve in Henry the fourth part one uh, when she was doing this one Hotspur speech that's really, really difficult and like very, it, it's like Hotspur trying to praise Douglas, this Scottish guy, right? Who's this badass warrior. And the language just like twists itself in knots. And I remember when I was working with the actor in the production that I directed of him just being like, this is so weird. Like what is up with this speech? And I was like, maybe it's like, my only conclusion was like, maybe it's weird because the character is feeling weird and like, is not actually able to clearly express themselves in this moment. And maybe like, just like lean into that. Um, And I I think that the conflicting um, sort of perspectives, as you say, on on the war, I think my instinct is that we lean into them. That actually, you know, whenever we're laughing at someone, it isn't funny for them. So that like, you don't, I think you don't need to like try and play up the humor in the jokes because it's like, weirdly, the more seriously you take it, the more it can become funny to us somehow. Mm -hmm. But um, I also like, I'm just, I wonder mm, how to put this. This is just, I guess for, for everyone, but I wonder why is this scene here with these four captains, one from each sort of part of the realm. What is the impression that we get about Henry's army from this? And like, also, do we read anything into these strange alliances? Like that the Irishman and the Englishman seem to get along quite well, but the Irishman doesn't get along with the Welshman. And like, 
I, yeah, I just, just what, what are, what are your thoughts about what this scene sort of demonstrates about the fighting force? I feel like it's very obvious it's written by an English person, first oh, of all, like, well, yes. <laughs> which, is, which is kind of is funny that they put the, the Irish kind of on the side of the English captain, because that's just, that's a little crazy. That's um, historically not accurate. <laughs> um, but I think it's, they're all very passionate. So I feel like that is going for them, because we've just seen the opposite, where everyone just, this there's no passion for this so I think although they're being made fun of a bit they're also like it's also pointing out you know what but these guys are here they're they want to be here they want to be doing this um but also it is a little ridiculous I mean like the way it's written with all these accents kind of written in is like that's not what either of those accents sound like Irish people don't do a lot of SHs. Uh, That's like half of what this is. And it's also weird because I feel like often if there's an accent written into something, because it's theater, you want it to be understandable more than anything else. Like you want the suggestion of the accent, but that doesn't mean you should be like really authentic because then we might not be able to understand what's going on but this feels like very like he does not care if these words are being completely heard (laughs) just the way that they're written and I think the passion is weirdly more important but also I just think it's weird that he puts all the sh's in but doesn't give him like a lot of words that have like the r sound because Mm. that would be a much more thing be like ah yes the Irish thing where instead of car they say care but like nope that's that sound isn't even used once and I think that's kind of fascinating but I think also is he just to go a little language nerd at the time is that the English accent was actually closer to that as well like they had they were it was a rhotic accent where they actually use their r's um, as opposed to the now kind of posh accent where they they don't it's non-rhotic so there is there's definitely I think some some changes but I agree with you. I think it almost creates this strange kind of sonorous texture of different different sounds as opposed to different arguments, if that makes sense. And I was talking actually to to someone I know who's really good at accents and uh, talking about that weird SH just specifically because it's just like every other word. Um, <laughs> and it we were talking about it in that that probably comes from, they're just trying to get, maybe Shakespeare's trying to point out that um, there's not a lot of movement in, there's not a lot of movement this way when Irish people talk a lot of the times, it just kind of, it kind of slurs together in a way. And so like, I feel like that's what he was trying to get at, but it just, that's not the thing that it is. I don't know, I find that fascinating, (laughs) but also we were like, well, we don't know what an old Irish accent sounded like, but this also just doesn't seem like it was that. (laughs) Well, and there's plenty of of characters in the history plays also that are coming from Scotland, that are coming from Wales, that don't have their accents written in to the script. I mean, we've got Glendower as a Welsh character with no accent written in who speaks in verse. And same with Douglas, you know, so it's, it's interesting, like why I I just, and I don't have a good answer. I can't remember. I can't recall any other 
instance in Shakespeare in which an accent is written in. Well, I, I can only because it's the next, it's like one of the next scenes where Catherine and Alice's French accent oh, yeah. is written in. But yeah, other yeah, than that, like that's the only- Yeah, but this play, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this and play is I, really weird. <laughs> yeah, it is really weird. And I just feel like um, that, I don't know, there, there must have been some sort of contemporary resonance about this scene. Because also if you go back to the folio, it's like, they're not even names. It's not even Jamie. It's just Scott yeah. and Irish. You know, it's yeah. like there must there must have been some sort of um, yeah. I don't know, but it's I if I was directing this, I'd probably cut the scene. <laughs> well, listening to it this time, I would just something I just hadn't occurred to me before, but it, it is certainly a, a trope, like in the commedia of uh, the each of the our characters has a very specific regional accent that apparently uh, for, for Italian people, uh, it's, it's hilarious uh, <laughs> that, that uh, uh, Arlecchino has, a, has a, a Bergamo accent and says all these, says like buongiorno in a funny way. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I, I, but I mean, it, it does seem like that's, there's, but of course the, 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 the the history of the British Isles uh, and the relationship between the sort of uh, Scots, Welsh, and Irish people uh, creates yeah, a very different dynamic than uh, the Italian states. It, it does seem like also absurd that they're like, wait, hold on, let's talk about Roman strategy. Like, <laughs> yes. is, is the battle done? Is, are we <laughs> presuming that this is like, later on at night or are they just is it just another group that's like well they're everyone's off dying but let's let's uh let's let's debate roman strategy it's, well it's and that's kind of what mcmorris says too he's like hey, yeah. what well, there's no time <laughs> like yeah 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 like shit's blowing up bro like what yeah. are we gonna <laughs> it's really funny it's so interesting i, I like think that i, I think that um, the fact that this scene with these conversations with different people from different regions from the British Isles is the actual material of the play during the time that a siege is happening mm. is sort of um, maybe Shakespeare's way of trying to make some time to give the sense that time, it takes time to actually achieve a siege. And mm. I love doing this play in the form of a podcast because the chorus is always begging everyone to use their imagination. And when we see a film of this or even a stage production, but especially in movies, there's so much time given to like images of war and blood and soldiers fighting and, and oceans and ships and what have you. But on a stage, you don't have these images. So there's, mm. I mean, you only have whatever the stage set can produce. And, and so then I think that the fact that it's been set up, okay, there's big sieges going on. And now we have these conversations happening. It, it, it is the material of the play. It's what mm -hmm. we are given because you can't have, you know, 20 minutes of rah, 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 war, war, fighting, fighting <laughs> on a stage. That would be a boring play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, and I think there's an interesting juxtaposition there. Absolutely. And, I, and I, I do think that, you know, as opposed to the other history plays where the Irish were rebelling against the English king, 
right? As were the Scots um, and the Welsh. Um, I, I, my tentative sort of guess is that it's to show that Henry has united the kingdom, his sort of empire, right? And that people from all these walks of life, from all these different kind of separate nations have united. Um, but also because it's Shakespeare, there's, there's another dynamic going on as well. And it's not just to yeah. show this, it's also like, this is not an easy alliance, right? These people don't actually get along and they have very different ideas. Just as we've seen all of the English nobility that was ready to cut each other's throat at the drop of a hat um, in the previous plays. Um, yeah, I yeah. buy that, Madam Director, I buy that. <laughs> cool, <I> cool. Also, <laughs> yeah, I also feel like we've seen, at least maybe I'm out of order, um, please correct me, but I feel like we've, we've seen so many civil wars Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels really like it feels very moving to have all of these people here and they're all yeah. like they're captains and they're you know they're fighting and it's ridiculous but like <laughs> they are here and there is this sense of of unity and there is this sort of sense that like if they can just like get it together like here they all are in France you know yeah. fighting the war it, it does feel meaningful and like connected to all the things that we've been talking about um and I also wanted to bring up um uh the this whole stuff about like the the wars of the Romans <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was so funny because I, I hadn't really made this this connection um but when we were talking um when An- uh Andrew was talking about uh, the the stage direction about the we see the ladders come up you know mm. um, I've I've been like engaging with a lot of sort of like Trojan War type media recently <laughs> um, and so it, it, you know it you know when you think about a siege you think of the, the Trojan War um, yeah. but it it kind of brought up as, even with this play feels very epic in in that yeah. kind of like the Aeneid the, the you know the odd like it feels like a, a, a Greek and Roman epic you know and it, this sort of idea of uh you know we don't have like somebody said we don't have time you know we don't have time for all these like weird conversations about um uh, like whether or not we're going into the mines or like what what sort of military strategies we have to use it's another reminder that like War isn't a beautiful Greek epic where yeah. you get thousands and thousands of lines of poetry before you get to, you know, before you get to the actual battle. Like yeah. we're in it now, like people are dying now. Like we have to make decisions now. Um, and I think that that they kind of are here both to sort of show us that this is like an English or a, you know, united kingdom you know story (laughs) but also that it's it's a very it it feels like shakespeare's time contemporary you know that like yeah yeah anyway (laughs) i i i really like that a lot i I think um there's a way in which fluellen puts us right just as when the chorus uses phoebus to put us in a mythological 
world, you're putting us in the sort of historical scape of the history of warfare. Yeah. And, but we have a chorus too, you know, we have yeah. a chorus that like yeah. at the beginning of this was telling us about like the mighty seas, you know, buffeting these, these, these ships forward, like moving us forward. Like what could be more like it, epic and weirdly <laughs> poetic than that, you know? Yeah. And we, and the chorus didn't even, we didn't have to plow through the, the homers, the catalog of the ships, which. Uh, no way. No time for that. This is <laughs> no boring. time for that. We just got to get there. Um, yeah. Andrew, please go ahead. <laughs> uh, we did. I felt like we did have a little catalog of a few ships when we were, uh, what did he say about the, it looking like a, um, uh, all these ships looking like a. Uh, a city, right? Gosh, the city, yeah, that's it, right. Um, that's not what I was going to say, but <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe we touched on this briefly, but I just wanted to mention for the sake of the listeners, um, the the mines that um, mm. I recall when I first did this play many, many years ago and um, was confused about uh, Shakespearean language, but also about um, things that would have been familiar to these people that uh, of the time period that the mines they're talking about here are, are the mining um, excavations under the walls to try and bring down the castle walls. Uh, they're not, you know, looking for iron or something under the earth while the battle's going on. <laughs> that would be really, <laughs> I mean, but also then there is a, an epic um, connection between whales and mining. I mean, whales yeah, is very much yeah, known for its mining. Right you know <laughs> yeah maybe that's why uh the welsh guy is involved with the whale uh, with the mines at all because yeah. he's good at excavating <laughs> question <I don't> mark <laughs> absolutely and the counter mines right the counter mines well wonderful right. i want to jump right into one, three, sorry oh yeah one please go ahead Izzy. mines which is that also the people who have to deal with the mines aren't going to be the important people because well first of all all of war is dangerous but that's such a dangerous job in so many ways yeah there's like collapses it reminds me because that was also i mean parallels and zeitgeist stuff um in world war one that was a huge thing um, are you thinking peaky blinders my dear i was thinking peaky <laughs> blinders here but i'm also <laughs> thinking about like like just it's always been a job but yeah. we don't talk about it in wars and it's it's kind of terrifying yeah it's one of the most dangerous jobs for sure killing murphy all the way um <laughs> let's get into uh three three in this supremely disturbing speech which um i i'm looking forward to uh seeing where we go with this <laughs> and on that note go ahead andrew <laughs> take it away how yet resolves the governor of the town this is the latest parl we will admit. Therefore, to our best mercy give yourselves. Or like to men proud of destruction, defy us to our worst. For as I am a soldier, a name that in my thoughts becomes me best. If I begin the battery once again, I will not leave the half-achieved floor till in her ashes she lie buried. The gates of mercy shall all be shut up, and the fleshed soldier, rough and hard of heart, 
in liberty of bloody hand shall range with conscience wide as hell, mowing like grass your fresh fair virgins and your flowering infants. What is it then to me if impious war, arrayed in flames like to the prince of fiends, do with his smirched complexion all fell feats and linked to fate, waste and desolation? What is to me? When you yourselves are cause, if your pure maidens fall into the hand of hot and forcing violation, what reign can hold licentious wickedness when down the hill he holds his fierce career? We may as bootless spend our vain command upon the enraged soldiers in their spoil as send precepts to the as send precepts to the Leviathan to come ashore. Therefore, you men of Harflur, take pity of your town and of your people. Whilst yet my soldiers are in my command, whilst yet the cool and temperate wind of grace o'erblows the filthy and contagious clouds of heedly murder, spoil, and villainy. If not, why in a moment look to see the blind and bloody soldier with foul hand defile the locks of your shrill shrieking daughters, your fathers taken by their silver beards and their most reverent heads dashed to the walls, your naked infants spitted upon pikes, whilst the mad mothers with their howls confused do break the clouds as did the wives of Jewry at Herod's bloody hunting slaughtermen. What say you? Will you yield and this avoid? Or guilty in defense be thus destroyed? Our expectation has this day an end. The Dauphin, whom of succors we entreated, returns us that his powers are yet not ready to raise so great a siege. Therefore, great king, we yield our town and lives to thy soft mercy. Enter our gates, dispose of us and ours, for we no longer are defensible. Open your gates. Come, Uncle Exeter, go you and enter Harfleur. There remain, and fortify it strongly against the French. Use mercy to them all for us, dear uncle. The winter coming on and sickness growing upon our soldiers, we will retire to Calais. Tonight in Harfleur, we will be your guest. To tomorrow for the march are we addressed. Ooh, oh man. Um, wow. Uh, that's fucked up. That's um, really disturbing. Um, uh as as governor just listening to what harry was saying scared the crap out of me oh yeah and it's and it's like what am i gonna do yeah. and even if i open the gates there's no telling what's gonna happen yeah. um, it, it's really um this whole act well except when we get to catherine seems to be everybody's perspective on war mm. and Henry V is is out there to just um, I don't know if he's just trying to talk big so mm. that people will back away from him um, 
or if he really feels this, we're just going to ravage your town. Um, even his once more into the breach. Um, and, and, you know, we saw people's opinions of, of what war means to them. And, and Nim and Pistol and, um, are just kind of like, oh, it's just another day of stealing. And mm -hmm. the boy has basically grown up and he realizes this isn't stealing. We've got a war going on. And then we've got the four captains that, you know, their countries are all of a sudden involved in this and they've got to work together. Um, and everybody does their job, but it's just, it's uh, this act. I mean, the first two acts, we were just kind of talking about war, yeah. you know, tennis balls and kind of, <laughs> you know, and now all of a sudden we are just steeped. The audience is thrown right into this war and, and pick whoever you want to be. If you want to be pistol and just, you know, hi, I'm just going to be drunk for the war. That's great. You know, yeah. um, I think, yeah, Amy, that this is wonderful. My only thing that I would say is that I actually, in a really disturbing way, think that the next scene with Catherine and Alice is also about war. It's about what happens to women in war. Oh, and that it's like, she's learning what is the English she wants to know? She wants to know how to say different parts of her body, because I think the implication being that that is the war that she's going to have to uh. negotiate, right? With okay. There's something about like, we've heard about this battlefront and the, the land that's being, you know, there is something about this, like, I need to know how to say, you know, hand and chin and, and, and all of, and so forth to quote Olivia and <laughs> Twelfth Night. Um, like there, there, there is a, there is a the kind of weird violence that overhangs that scene that we're about to to see but I, I i totally agree with you that i think this it really does it we were talking about this forward momentum i really feel like this this act yeah. just takes us by the scruff of the neck and throws us in um and the way I, that henry five kind of um is is speaking so uh directly about what could happen um, to me, it, it just, uh, he's basically saying, it, I can't, I can, um, I can't control, I can only control these people up to a certain point. So please, yeah. please give in because um, if we keep going, you know, I'm, I'm describing all this to you because I won't be able to do anything about it once it starts. And it's just the reality. And uh so uh, please listen to me and, and help me keep everyone together before, um, you know, if, if you decide the opposite, it's just, this is what will happen. And, and that's what really freaks me out is maybe that's why he's saying it so uh, graphically because uh, yeah, if, uh, essentially there's, there's a point in war where you just, nobody has any control anymore. And I think what's hard for us in 2021 is that like all of this was completely normal for yeah. so much of human history. I've been listening to the History of Rome podcast and like soldiers signed up because rape and pillage was like a perk for being a soldier, you know, like yeah. it, 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 and that I think 
to a contemporary mind is like kind of like um, uh, pretty dissonant, you know? Absolutely. Well, and there's, I mean, and it's not eradicated. Um, no, there no, is still, for, yes, you by, know, by, yeah, but there are still a lot of, of um, privileged, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of stuff with, you know, the UN trying to sort of ban sexual violence as a form of warfare um, because right. it's still used to this day, not hopefully not widespread, but what do we know? Andrew, well, I, I, I very much uh, sort of got Zunum's uh, interpretation from the way that you were saying it. Like there was almost to me kind of like a fear in the way that you were sharing these graphic details. What, what were your thoughts as you were going through this? And, and, and what, do you, what are your impressions of this, of this little scene, little and powerful scene? Yeah, yeah I agree with the um, uh, Zunim's point that, so th there's certainly language in here about how I, um, we, the king, will not be able to control this process um, if the if the battle goes too far, uh, it will grow outside of my ability to command it, um, and that comes kind of in the second half of the speech. Mm. After I've already gone through a bunch of this language, the um, I'm thinking about uh, the lead up um, and the logistics of a siege and uh, the desperation um, that may be involved for Henry. He doesn't say anything about it, but I imagine our supplies are growing low and we're going to talk a little later about how our soldiers are already getting uh, sick and, and uh, malnourished and all this. So there's, there is some desperation and um, certainly this is a tactic and the words that he chooses uh, are tactics to try and get the governor to yield. Um, I, the, in the first uh, quarter of the speech here, he says, if I begin the battery once again, I will not leave our floor till in her ashes she lies buried. Um, and later he says, uh, Let's see, where was it? We may as bootless spend our vain command upon the enraged soldiers and their spoil. Um, and I was struck in reading through it um, in the difference between uh, I will not begin the, if I begin the battery, if I begin the battery, I will not leave. And then uh, our vain command later on where, where he's talking about, look, it's not really in my control. So, you know, as ever, it's a bit of both. And mm -hmm. it, there's a bit of, um, this is a tactic that he's willing to stoop to, uh, a horrific tactic. Uh, and there's a little bit of, he's probably in, increasingly desperate to get the whole thing over with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, you have to find the humanity in the guy. <laughs> yeah, in order of to, course. To, to get inside and... Uh, yeah, but the imagery, obviously, it's it's um, horrific. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you know, this is to to say that you know, there's no such thing as black and white when it comes to Shakespeare characters. You know, nobody is all good or all bad. Although you know, there is 
the maybe with the exception of Iago being, you know, does he have redeemable qualities seems to be the sort of <laughs> discussion of the, of the century. But uh, I, 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 yeah, I think, I think it shows a very complex human being that's in a very tough spot. That's using any, any tools that they have at their disposal. Um, and in this case, Weirdly, I feel like the most uh, horrific tool is the tool of the of provoking the audience and the governor's imagination, um, right? Of using language as opposed to, you know, I think there there are people who say, oh, like Shakespeare must have been a soldier because there's all this these wars. But then when you really get down to it, it's like the war is like they enter, they fight one dies, you know, like, this is not complex, like military knowledge here. This is like, it's not always, it's not about the fight. It's about what, what does the language do to sort of convey the violence? And I, and I think in a strange way that Henry V sort of becomes our chorus in this, like mm. this, this chorus of trepidation of like, what could be, what, what could happen with, um, if we, continue this if we don't stop this now yeah. it is hard to read this particular language without being affected yourself by the horror of it yeah. uh, rather to speak this language and i must believe that he's doing that on purpose uh, shakespeare is yeah that the it is meant to be horrific there's nothing um valorous about what Henry is describing here. This is not, this is an anti-war speech, mm. even though it's used as a tactic in a war scene. Yeah, 